Amen. Well, we've got uh, just a few uh, questions. Here comes another couple. Not all of them have to do with, uh, with healing. And uh, so let me, let me take care of the ones that uh, uh, don't have to do with healing real quickly. One is uh, if we're faced with a situation where a fellow Christian that does not believe in healing dies, uh, do we have the authority to speak life back into their flesh? Uh, probably not. In most cases, probably not. Uh, well, in, in almost every case, I would say. I'm not going to say never, but the, I'm, I'm trying to get as close to never as possible. And the reason for that is because the way the question was posed, if somebody does not believe in healing, you're never going to have authority to usurp somebody else's will. God won't take authority over somebody's will. He, if he was going to do that, then he'd just make everybody get saved. But remember Jesus, time after time after time, said to those that he was ministering to, according to your faith, be it unto you. So by virtue of the question itself, if somebody doesn't believe in healing, you're not going to be able to overcome their unbelief by some authority in the name of Jesus. Here's another question. It doesn't have to do with healing. Um, makes a statement that certainly God knows the beginning from the end and who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. And here's the question. Since he knew who would perish and who would not, why not just create the ones who would be heirs of salvation and, and not create the ones who would perish in the lake of fire? Well, there's two answers that, uh, that come to mind on this. First of all, God does not want robots. He wants people that are part of his family because they want to be. He wants people who freely choose him. But the, the second part of the question is really, um, well, it's, it's the, the, the heart of the matter as far as I can see it, if I understand the question correctly. And that is, how many believers had unbelievers for parents or grandparents or great-grandparents or whatever? How would God just create the people that would receive him? You've got family lineages and, and ancestors and stuff like that. How in the world is God going to pick and choose? Well, this one's not going to receive me, so they're out. But now I've got to have somebody else take their place as the husband of this wife so that their great-grandchild can receive me. I'm, I'm, with God, all things are possible, but that sounds like a pretty big chore in and of itself. But again, it comes back to God wanting a family who loves him. Another question, not related to healing. Who are the dead in Christ who will awaken when Christ returns? Uh, it's a misstatement of the scripture. It's talking about over in First Thessalonians where Paul said uh, there will be a shout, a loud voice from heaven, in other words, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. It doesn't talk about them awakening. It says the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall meet him in the air. What it's saying is those who have already gone to heaven, believers who are already in heaven in the presence of the Lord will come back to get their bodies. And then we'll be caught up into the air, receive our redeemed bodies in a twinkling of an eye, as the scripture says, and then we'll be together with Jesus, and then he'll take us to heaven for the remainder of the seven years of tribulation. Um, here's a question that's sort of related to healing. How are curses or sins from previous generations, meaning ancestors, involved in illness? How can we overcome this spiritual problem and be healed? I don't think that's a spiritual problem. I mean, 
if you talk about generational curses, which a lot of people do, the Bible says Jesus laid the, the, the axe to the root of the tree. So whatever your ancestral tree is, the work of Jesus has already overcome it. Now, I know as well as you do that there are certain genetic traits and characteristics that, uh, that follow us because of our DNA and, and the presence of sin, the curse of the law, and so forth. For example, your, your family history, your medical history may be such that you're subject or susceptible to heart attack, heart disease, cancer, whatever. I've been told by the doctor that there are certain things that are in my family uh, tree and, and therefore, you know, you're susceptible to this, that, and the other. But what of any of those things did Jesus not overcome? The people that I see that are affected by generational curses are the people that are meditating on them. I'm sorry to be blunt, but that's just the fact. I'll never be affected by cancer. I'll never be affected by heart disease or anything else that's in my family tree. Because Jesus gave me a new family tree. He took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. Now, there may be certain things that come up as a result of my genetic makeup that I have to stand against and resist in the power of the name of Jesus. Okay. And it's just the way that it is. There may be some things that I have to stand against and resist that you don't and vice versa. But it's still all taken care of by the work of Jesus. If there's not, if there is one thing, one sickness and one disease Jesus didn't pay for, then the whole Bible's a lie. So I don't see, for me, I mean, you can do what you want to with it. But for me, there's no such thing as a generational curse. No matter who preaches it. Jesus paid the price for sin. That means all of the sin of mankind. That means whatever sin or whatever issue was in your family. Another question here, we're starting to get to uh, healing. What's the difference between a healing and a miracle? Well, the Bible tells us about uh, there were situations, I think it's over in Matthew 15, where there were multitudes that came to Jesus and it says the people that, were, that came to him were healed. And then it mentions some of the people that were healed. It talks about those that were lame were made whole. And those that were maimed were made whole. Now the difference between those two is you've got one person, for example, if they're lame, you've got somebody that's got a problem with their legs, but they've got legs. Somebody that's maimed is missing body parts. So if they're missing a leg, their leg wouldn't be healed. It would be recreated. So the difference between a healing and a miracle is that healing is restoration from a diseased condition. A miracle in this sense, or in the, in the, at least in the example that we're talking about, is divine intervention in the ordinary course of, of nature. Now, there are certain things that we would call miracles of healing. And everything that God does, healing included, is miraculous in nature. But specifically... Healing is restoration from a diseased condition. Now, here's, uh, here's a question that I really wanted to get to, and thank you for your questions. I'll take it from here. If someone asks you if you're in pain, if you answer with the truth, does it undo your healing by faith in the finished work of Jesus? If so, what do you say when it is still a daily struggle? This is a great question, and it's a place where the devil trips people up. 
You need to realize, folks, that the fight of faith is in your mind. In other words, the devil tries to trip you up with reasoning. Now, I'm not throwing rocks. I don't know who answered the question. It doesn't matter. But you need to realize, if this is your question, you need to realize you're already on the devil's territory. Because you're confusing physical facts with truth. I assume, and if I'm assuming incorrectly, then forgive me. But I'm assuming that the way the question is asked is that the individual is in pain. And their thinking is they'll just be stating the truth by saying they are in pain to answer somebody's question. Well, let me ask you this. And I'm, I'm not just talking to the individual. This is a question for everybody. Has ever telling anybody what the physical facts of our circumstances, specifically pain or suffering or adversity or whatever problem we're in the middle of, has that ever helped any of us? Has it ever brought any blessing in any way whatsoever? Even if they cry with you. Even if they hug your neck and feel sorry for you. In the final analysis, does that help? Does it really comfort you? It may salve your feelings and and affect you emotionally for a few moments. But when they leave, then what? Then what do you got? Now you're alone feeling sorry for yourself. That never helps. Folks, you cannot confuse physical facts with spiritual realities or physical, physical facts and realities with spiritual truth. See, the truth of the matter is Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. And with his stripes you're healed. Now, does that mean you'll never experience pain? No. Does that mean you'll never have to resist the devil, resist sickness? No. Doesn't mean any of those things. So when somebody asks you when you're in the middle of, of, uh, of a hard place and experiencing pain, and the devil will see to it that well-meaning people will yield to his influence to ask you. Doesn't mean they're bad. Doesn't mean that they're evil. Doesn't mean that they're knowingly being used to the devil. But the devil will influence people to ask you questions to challenge your faith. See, if the devil showed up the way that most people think that he is, wearing a red suit, carrying a pitchfork, and got a pointed tail, everybody would know to resist that. That's the cartoon figure of the devil that we've all seen. But what about when the devil comes with words? It's, uh, what about when well-meaning people, Christians, other people that love us, come speaking the devil's words? We've got an example of that when Peter came to Jesus after Jesus told about his resurrection, or his crucifixion, his resurrection, Peter said, not so, Lord. Remember what Peter answer, Jesus answered Peter? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, who is Satan? Is he calling Peter Satan? No, he's saying that Peter is speaking Satan's words. Well, it's, it would be hard to find anybody that loved Jesus more than Peter did, wouldn't it? And it would be easy to explain why Peter would resist the idea that Jesus is going to die on the cross. He loves him. He didn't want that to happen to him. So what does he do? Well, according to Jesus, he yielded to the devil's influence and said, oh, it's not going to be like that, Jesus. He's speaking against the word. Anything Jesus said was the word of God, wasn't it? Jesus identified what's going to happen. And Peter says, no, 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 no. It's not going to be like that, Jesus. Say it's not so. 
Jesus responds by saying that he's been influenced by the devil to speak the devil's words. Get thee behind me, Satan. Well, if Peter could do that in Jesus' presence, should we be surprised that other well-meaning Christians, family members, loved ones, can be influenced of the devil to speak his words too? That's why you've got to guard everything that you hear. Jesus said, take heed what you hear. You've got to judge everything that that you hear, everything that anybody says, and certainly everything that you say by the word of God. So what what would we answer? What should we answer in a situation like that? When somebody says, honey, are you in pain? What should we answer? Well, I'm going to answer what the Bible says. I'm going to say, according to the word of God, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Yeah, 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 but, but are you in pain? Have you ever noticed how important it is for some people to get you to say that you hurt? Now, they may mean well. I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. But why does it... Why do we worry about offending somebody else by saying what the Bible says? When so often they're trying to get us to say how we feel. What does it matter how we feel? The Bible says in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Well, the word seen there is representative of the five physical senses, not just what you can see with your physical eye. So we could say it this way. Faith is the evidence of things not felt. So healing in the presence of, of uh, pain would be evidenced by your faith and you evidence your faith by what you say. I look for every opportunity I can to say what the Bible says. I've got some experience with this. It's a physical fact that my hand shakes. But it's a spiritual truth that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with the stripes I'm healed. It's a physical reality that sometimes I'm in pain because of it. But it's a spiritual truth that if I believe I receive my healing, I shall have my healing. So what's more important to stick with? I'm going to stick with the word. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Turn with me to three openings of of Scripture. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Luke chapter 11. And James chapter 5. There's such a fine line when you talk about these kind of things. Because some people are struggling with this stuff every day. I get it. And I'm just like you are. There are some times where I just want to cry. Well, I've cried. And it doesn't help. If crying helped, I'd advise you to cry. If saying you hurt helped, I'd advise you to say that you're hurt. But none of those things help. None of those things change Anything that you're going through. But one thing will. And that's the word of God. Now in Mark chapter 16. Jesus said. This is after he appears to the disciples. uh, At his resurrection. Verse 15 he said unto them. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 16 is the one I want you to see. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Now look with me to Luke chapter 11. Verse 11, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that's a father, 
will he give him a stone instead? Well, certainly not. Or if he asks for a fish, will he instead of a fish give him a snake? No. Or if he asks an egg, will he instead offer him a scorpion? Of course not. Those would be bad things and those are things that could hurt you. Verse 13 is what I want you to see. If you then being evil, the word evil just means carnal or natural. If you then being natural human beings know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Look with me now to James chapter 5. Verse 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith shall save. The word save is the word heal. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, here's my question. Which promise is more true? Mark 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Or Luke chapter 11 verse 13. If you then being natural human beings know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Or James chapter 5. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with all in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. Which of those promises is more true? you got three promises. One is concerning salvation. Paul expands on it a little bit in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. It says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him with your mouth that you'll be saved. Would anybody ever preach saying God might save you when we've got a guarantee in these scriptures and others we could pull out where he says, if you will receive Jesus, you shall be saved. No, in fact, we tell people that no matter what sins they've committed, no matter what their background, no matter where they're coming from, we tell them with absolute certainty because God said, Jesus said it, and then the Holy Ghost inspired Paul to say it. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess Jesus as your Lord, you shall be saved. Slam dunk, right? Well, Luke chapter 11 tells us about God's attitude toward giving believers, his children, the Holy Ghost. It's talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. He tells us that since we know how to be good good fathers and parents to our children how much more shall your heavenly father give the holy spirit to them that ask him in other words that's the same slam dunk for receiving the holy ghost isn't it isn't this a guarantee that jesus is making on behalf of the father by saying any child of god any believer any person that's made jesus the lord of their life can and will receive the holy ghost just simply by asking the father to give him to him Now, I want you to understand something, folks. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus is giving us one and only one way for salvation. One and only one way. Don't get thrown by the word baptized in Mark 16, verse 16. Being baptized in that sense does not mean water baptism. If it was, then the Holy... If it did, does mean uh, baptism, water baptism, then the Holy Ghost messed up when he left it out of Romans 10, 9. He's talking about being baptized into Christ. 
Water baptism doesn't save anybody, no matter how you do it. If it did, then Jesus wouldn't be the way to the Father. We could just get the world to go swimming, then we could get them all into heaven. No, it's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about relationship with God. So Jesus is giving us one and only one way, and it's a sure way. And it's through believing in him and his sacrifice. In the same way, Luke chapter 11 gives us one and only one way to receive the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about being baptized in the Holy Ghost or being filled with the Holy Ghost. Both of those are scriptural terms. One and only one way, and that's to ask the Father. And it says without equivocation, without any shadow of a doubt, that if a believer will do that, God will give him the Holy Ghost. In the same manner, folks, James chapter 5 gives one and only one way for any sick believer, any sick person in the church, meaning the family of God, to be healed. Now, it's interesting to note that he said, is any sick among you? He didn't say people with minor ailments. He didn't say lucky ones. He says any. Any is an all-inclusive term. It means no matter what your situation, whether you've got a serious condition or a minor condition, whether it's an acute or chronic condition, long-term or short-term, makes no distinction whatsoever. And the reason he doesn't make a distinction is because Jesus paid the price for all of it. And he asks the same question regarding sickness and disease, presents the same answer, presents the same solution, as he does for salvation and for being filled or baptized in the Holy Ghost. He gives you one means, one method to receive healing. And it's just as much a guarantee as the other two verses of Scripture are regarding salvation and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He says, And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. doesn't say might. It says, Shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And the Lord shall raise him up. Now, in in dealing with people concerning the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there are times and instances where you can meet the conditions that God said to meet. I've had experiences where people received the Holy Ghost, even began to speak with other tongues. But then shortly thereafter, they listened to the lies of the devil began to question what they had and failed to use what God had given them. In some cases, I've heard of people, that that wasn't people that I prayed for, but I've heard of people say that they had been filled or at least attempted to be filled with the Holy Ghost many, many years before, spoke with tongues one time, but they never used it again. And so they forfeited what God had given them. My point is very simply this. You can bring somebody to the place where the Holy Ghost is given to them, but it's still up to them to take hold of it. It's still up to them to, to, to speak out in other tongues as the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. You can't make them speak. I've had situations, they're rare, but I've had situations, unfortunately, where the Holy Ghost came on somebody, it was, he was all over them. The utterance was there to speak, and they just simply refused to speak. What can you do? You can instruct them all you know to do. You can encourage them. 
You can pray for them, get them to the place where he's there. They know he's there. In this situation, I'm thinking about the individual knew that that was the Holy Ghost. They began to shake all over. They were very aware of the presence of God that was upon them. But they just wouldn't speak. They refused to speak. Well, what do you do? I think that's the way it works with healing in a lot of cases. We act on what the Bible says. Whether or not somebody is aware of the presence of God to heal them is irrelevant. The power of God isn't always felt. Not everybody felt the power of God in Jesus when they touched him or he touched them. But we fulfill the criteria that the Bible says in James chapter 5. You take somebody to the edge, but because they don't feel anything, because they can't see a change in their body or their condition, they reject it just like the person did that I prayed for to be filled with the Spirit. Well, what do you do with that? You can't make somebody take it. Folks, if you could make somebody take it, then God would make somebody take it. But it's up to the individual. Well, how do we get to the place where we receive every time? I believe that it comes by teaching. I believe it comes by pointing things out like I'm trying to do now. That the promise to be saved is just as real as the promise to be healed. That the promise to be filled with the Holy Ghost is just as real, just as true, just as surety as the promise to receive healing. All three of these are promises made by God, by the Holy Ghost. Even when Jesus said what he did, he's speaking by the Holy Ghost, at least according to what he said. He said that's the way it worked. So when he says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, he's speaking that by the Holy Ghost. When James says, the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, he's speaking by the Holy Ghost. When Jesus said, How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? He's speaking by the Holy Ghost. So you've got three scriptures, three instances, three surefire scriptures that say that the results are guaranteed spoken by the Holy Ghost. Is one more true than the other? Is one more real than the other would be? There is one difference. When it comes to salvation, there's no fight of faith. As soon as you pray, you receive. It's an instant reception. That's usually the case when the baptism of the Holy Ghost is concerned too. But the Bible says fight the good fight of faith. If everything that you believed for by faith came instantly, there wouldn't be no fight. That's why there is no fight of faith when it comes to salvation. Now, the fight of faith concerning salvation comes afterwards when the devil tries to tell you you're not really saved. There's a resisting the lies of the enemy even where salvation is concerned, meaning the new birth. But the fight of faith where healing is concerned is different. The Holy Ghost said through James, the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Let me close with this. Turn with me over to Matthew. Uh, I'm sorry. Close with me over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 tells us what the prayer of faith does.
Jesus is talking about the subject of faith beginning in verse 22. He tells us in verse 23 that faith works by believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. And then in verse 24, he tells us how faith works in prayer. In other words, he defines the prayer of faith, this same prayer of faith that James 5, 15 talks about. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, believing would be our desire in this example, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, meaning the things you desire, in this case, healing. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive healing, and you shall have healing. And this goes back to the question that was asked about how do you respond when somebody asks you if you're in pain? Jesus said that the prayer of faith that saves, saves or heals the sick works like this. When you pray, that would mean when the elders pray over them, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. When you pray, you believe that you receive your healing and God sees to it that you have your healing by raising you up. So the question is, how do we want to respond to people? We want to talk about truth. What's true? If you believe you received your healing, then it's true that healing is yours. No matter how you feel, no matter what it looks like, no matter what anybody thinks about what you receive by faith, the truth, according to Jesus, according to God's word, is that healing is already yours. Then shouldn't our confession be in line with what we know to be true? I mean, even if you answered something like, well, yeah, I am in pain, but you know that doesn't matter because I believe I received my healing in the name of Jesus. Even in that, you're okay. It really doesn't help you to add the pain part. But if it's absolutely necessary for you to identify the physical fact, then always counter it or add to it the truth of God's word. Now notice what Jesus is saying. Therefore I say unto you. What things soever you desire. Well our subject is healing. So that would, be, that would include healing from any condition wouldn't it? What things soever you desire. That would mean healing from cancer. Just as much as healing from a stubbed toe. That would mean healing from leukemia. Just as much as it would be healing from a cut on your hand. That would mean what things soever, no matter how severe, no matter how advanced, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive your healing and you shall have your healing. Now why, what basis do we have to believe that we receive our healing? Because Jesus said this is how it works. The word of God says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed. In other words, he's already paid the price for our healing. So we have a sure foundation to receive our healing by faith. But Pastor Mike, how long am I supposed to believe I'll receive? Till you have it. See, the, the Bible's talking about here, Jesus is talking very specifically about healing existing in two realms. He's talking about healing existing in the spirit realm. But then he's talking about it becoming a part of the physical realm and a physical reality too. He said if you'll believe that healing is yours in the unseen realm, the realm of the spirit, then you'll see it manifest in the physical realm. You shall have it. 
you shall have it. You shall have it. Now, did Jesus tell us the truth? Maybe a better way to approach that is, is it possible that he lied? And it's not. Jesus is the Son of God, and God's not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. When Jesus said, if you believe, you receive your healing. When you pray, you shall have your healing. Then whether it's a short period of time or a long period of time, you shall have your healing. For it not to be so, the whole world would have to come undone. The Bible talks about God upholding the whole universe by the word of his power. The same word that promised you that you'd have your healing if you believe you receive it when you pray is the word of God that holds the universe together. So we've got a surefire way to know when the word of God stops working. When the universe comes apart, then we know that's it. It's done. It's too late. Well, that's never going to happen, is it? Therefore, I say unto you, Jesus said, when you pray, what things soever you desire, healing in our case, when you pray, believe that you receive your healing and you shall have your healing. Every confession that comes out of your mouth, every word that comes out of your mouth should be associated with, I believe I received my healing in Jesus' name. That's your only responsibility. From there, it's God's problem. It's God's problem to make sure that you have it, to see to it that you have it. And James said it a little different way. James said, the prayer of faith shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Jesus and James are talking about the same thing. They use a little different terminology, but they're talking about exactly the same thing. The Lord raising you up is the Lord seeing to it that you have it. It means healing. The Lord raising you up means that God is seeing to it that you have your healing. And it's a guarantee. The same guarantee as there is for salvation. The same guarantee there is to be filled with the Spirit. It's a guarantee given by God himself. One cannot be more true than the other. One promise cannot be more real than the other. They're all made by the creator of the universe. Amen. Thank God for his word one more time. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to walk by faith. What a privilege it is to, walk, to watch you at work restoring people to divine health. Thank you, Father, that we've got a surefire method, surefire means of ministering and receiving healing in the church. It always works. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.